Good morning. Hey, we're, uh, I'm glad you're here today. We're, we're continuing our series in James. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open to the book of James. That's in the New Testament. James chapter 2 is where we are today. We're going to start with verse 14 in just a minute. Before we, get, before we jump into what we're talking about today, um, the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, it's 12 verses. And this passage of Scripture, at first read, it can seem a little... Uh, if you've read all of the New Testament and you read this, at first read it can seem a little tricky maybe. It can seem a little controversial even. This, there's one verse in this passage that people who like to pull a verse out of context and quote that one verse will pull out that verse and try to tell you that the Bible says something that it does not. And one of the things that we have to understand about the Bible is all of it works together. The Old Testament points to the New Testament. The New Testament points to Jesus. And all of it works together, and it's all pointing us in the same direction. And so when you take one verse out and pull it out and say, this is what the Bible says based on that one verse, and you don't read what came before it, you don't read what comes after it, it's a very, very dangerous thing. And so this is one of those passages of Scripture. So what I want to do today, and, and just so you know, I had somebody came in today and said, I'm glad you're preaching about this day because, man, our life group, we really got into it Wednesday night about this passage of Scripture. I want to know, you know, what it is that, that you're going to have to say about it. And then they also said that they thought maybe it was because they had a wine cake and they didn't know if it was the wine coming out. And I, you know, and I was like, listen, if you're going to have wine cake, you need to give some of that to your pastor. And, uh, so anyway, we're going we're gonna to go through this passage today. Before we start, I want to pray for us, because what I want to do, I want to just pray that, that I, would, I wouldn't say anything today that would confuse anybody. I want you to walk out of here understanding what the Scripture says. And just so you know, we're going to use a whole lot of Scripture today. You're, you just need to stay in James 2, but there's going to be a lot of other Scripture that's going to come up on the screen that I'm going to read to you, because, and, and when I was preparing the message, I, I even had this crazy thought. I even thought, wow, am I, I going to be reading way too much Scripture, which is like the dumbest thing I should ever think. Um, if we're here today and, we, and if, you know, if you have a problem with me reading too much Scripture, I, I, I'm not even going to apologize. I'm just sorry that you think that. So uh, let's pray. Father God, I do, I do ask that this morning that what you want to be communicated would come out crystal clear. That there would be nothing that I would say that would confuse anyone that the truth of your word would speak. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, this passage we're going to read today, if we miss what it's saying, we really miss what the gospel is all about. So let, let's start. I'm, what I'm going to do, I'm going to start by reading all 12 verses right off the bat. And so we'll follow along on your Bible or follow along on the screen, and then we'll, then we'll jump into it and talk about it starting with verse 14 of James chapter 2. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about its physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. 
You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by what he does, and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So James begins this passage here in verse 14 with a question. And the question he asks is, if a man claims to have faith but have de- has no deeds, can such faith save him? And what James was doing here is he was contrasting people who claim to have faith, which James then calls a dead faith, and those who actually had faith, which James calls a living faith. And, and James makes it very clear, the, the answer to his question, and, and we'll just go ahead and answer it right now before we go any, any further. The answer to the question he asks in verse 14, can such faith save him? Well, look at what he says next. Verse 17, he says, in the same way, faith by itself, is, if not accompanied by action, is what? Say it with me. Dead. Verse 20. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is what? Say it. Useless. And then in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is what? Dead. James makes it very clear that faith without deeds is a dead faith. It's not a legitimate faith. It's not authentic. But where things get a little sketchy for us and a little confusing maybe is verse 24. Because in verse 24, James says, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. And if you've read a lot of the New Testament, you're probably already thinking, wait a minute, I can think of verses in my mind where the Apostle Paul wrote something that sounds exactly the opposite of that. And and let me read some of them to you. Uh, Galatians 2.16. Now, the book of Galatians was written, Paul had had established a church in a place called Galatia, and then he had left, and and he writes back this letter. And what was happening in the the town of Galatia, in that church there, is there was a group of people who, um, let me back up real quick. Remember that most of the early Christians, what were they before they were Christians? They were Jews. And and, in in the Jewish faith, in the Old Testament, if you read through it, there's all kind of laws that the Jews were expected to follow. Laws about eating and about sacrifices and about cleaning things and just all kinds of stuff. And so what happened in in Galatia at this church is there was a group of people who they were Christians now. They started telling all the folks in that church, okay, It's not enough that you have faith in Jesus. You also have to obey all of the Jewish laws. And the big one that they were hitting on was circumcision. And you can imagine the guys in the church who had not been circumcised were not too excited about having to follow the Jewish law of circumcision at age 45 or whatever. Hey, you got to be circumcised. They're like, forget it. I'll walk away from Jesus if that's what it means. I mean, that's probably what they were thinking. 
And so they were saying, you've got to follow the, the law and you have to have faith in Jesus. And so Paul responds to that and he says this, Galatians 2.16, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Then look at Romans 3.28. Paul makes the same point in Romans 3.28. He says this, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul writes this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And so when you read those verses, and then you read James 2, 24, where James says, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone, it, it gets a little confusing there. Well, James and Paul both help us understand this a little bit by referring to a guy way back in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Abraham. And, and so uh, look at what he says there about Abraham, James does. Verse 21 through 23, he refers to Abraham and he says this, Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. This is the story where in the Old Testament, Abraham had already followed God. God had put a call on Abraham's life. Abraham had already demonstrated to God that he had faith enough to follow the call. And so he'd been following God for a while. And then God blesses him with a son when he and his wife were way past childbearing age. Like a hundred. Way, way, way past childbearing. Way past being able to do what it takes to have a childbearing age. And they were having babies, right? And so it was directly from God. He gave them this child, Isaac. And then after he gives them Isaac, God says, Isaac's now a teenager. God tells Abraham, I want you to take your boy Isaac, your, your son that I gave you, and I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar, just like you would sacrifice a lamb or a bull, and I want you to do that for me. And so Abraham obeys God. He demonstrates his faith and obeys God, and he does that. And before, of course, before he can bring the knife down and murder his son, God stops him and provides another sacrifice, provides a ram to be sacrificed instead. And so that's what, what story James is talking about here. He's talking about Abraham had already followed God, and now he was demonstrating his faith by following God in sac being willing to sacrifice Isaac. And so there it says in verse 22, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. Now, Paul talked about, the, about Abraham too. Look at Romans chapter 4. Now, in Romans chapter 4, Paul is discussing when Abraham accepted the first call to follow God. And he says this, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, 
he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. When it says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, that's referring to Abraham following the initial call on God's life. When he first had faith. But then in James 22 or 23, it says that once Abraham, he'd been following God for a while, once he passed the test, you're willing to sacrifice your own son. Once he passed that test, then it says in verse 23 of James 2, then the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. See, here's what, here's what all of this is saying. The only thing that saves us is faith in Jesus. But true faith always produces works. If you're taking notes today and you're going to write one thing down all day long, write that down. The only thing that saves us is faith in Jesus. But true faith always produces works. See, what Abraham was willing to do with Isaac, that was as a result of the faith that he already had displayed that he had in God. And so when he, when he passed that test, then it was his faith was on display. And it was proven that, yes, his faith and his actions were working together, just like James says. But what initially justified Abraham, what initially put him in right standing with God, was not the action that he took, it was the faith that God gave him, the faith that he had to follow God in the first place. And then the action that he took grew out of that faith. True faith always produces works. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that I read to you a while ago. Let me read it again. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. So it's saying it's not by works. But then what does the very next verse say? Ephesians 2, 10, right after that says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's the faith that saves us. The faith, the belief in what Jesus did for us on the cross. But as a result of that, what should grow out of that is works, is good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, let, me, let me give you an example of it. Uh, I've got a picture that um, we're going to put up here of, of fire. All right. Now, let me ask you, and this is not a trick question, by the way. I want you to answer is that real fire? It's not a trick question. Let, let, me, let me ask one more time, all right? I just want to be sure you're with me. Should be easy. Is that real fire? W one more time. Is that real fire? All right. Phew, man, it's hard work up here. Let me ask you this. How do you know? How do you know it's not real fire? Somebody said it's not hot. All right, what else? It's two-dimensional. Good. It's not, it's not burning up the screen, is it? Right? I mean, if it was real fire, it would be burning that screen up. Now, oh, that's probably not going to work now. Is that real fire? 
Let me, I'll show you that it is. Yeah, that's real fire. Now, you know how I know this is real fire? Because it produces heat. Real fire produces heat. Fake fire doesn't produce anything. Real faith produces something. Real faith produces good works. Dead faith, what James calls dead faith, it doesn't produce anything. A dead person, a dead animal, doesn't produce anything. A dead plant doesn't produce anything. If you plant a tomato plant in your yard, you know that it's alive when it's producing fruit, when blooms are coming out on it. When it no longer produces and it withers up, you know that it's dead because it is not producing anything. Living faith always produces good works. Now, one of the things that we tend to get confused about is that we start to think that that being a Christian and having faith is all about just living by a moral code. And and we, we, we make faith about the things that we don't do. You know, well, I, I don't do this and I don't do that. And depending on what kind of church you grew up in, and I grew up in a church where you really couldn't do a lot of stuff. You couldn't dance. You couldn't drink alcohol. You couldn't smoke cigarettes. You, I mean, there was a bunch of... You couldn't, you know, talk to a lot of girls. I mean, a lot of stuff you couldn't do. And, and a lot of times we get confused and we start making it into, well, being a Christian is just about living by those morals. And so then what happens is, is we start trying to be good enough to convince God that He should love us. We try to be good enough to convince God that, that He should allow us into heaven after we die. And, and, and we have in mind a lot of times that, that, w- that when you die, that, that God is going to be standing there and He's got this giant scale and he, and he takes all the good things you've done and he puts them on one side of the scale and he takes all the bad things you've done and he puts them on the other side of the scale and we just hope, you know, well, maybe, hopefully the good things I do will, will outweigh the bad things I do, you know, and that we think God's going to say, hey, you were almost going to go to hell, but right before you died, you took in that stray dog and that just tipped the scales to heaven. Come on in. And, and I think sometimes we think that. But the reality is what the Scripture teaches us is that, that we can't be good enough. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is talking about when it says it's not by works. that you, you can't be good enough. You can't do enough good things to outweigh the sin that we all do. And, and here's the good news. That's why Jesus came. The good news is that God only accepts messed up people. If you come to Him saying you've got it all together, you're not ready to come to Him. If you, if you think you've got to clean yourself up, well, I, I'm, I'm going to become a Christian after I you know, quit drinking and after I get my marriage back together and when my kids start acting right, then, then I'm going to become a Christian. No, you, you come when you're all messed up. That's the way it works. And he only accepts messed up people. And because he only accepts messed up people, then what happens is, is that you have the faith and you go to him and you say, I don't know how it's going to work, but, but I know that I'm messed up and I believe that you died on the cross and so I put my trust in that. And then once you do that, you will begin to see if it's real, if the faith that, that you have is a real, a living faith. What will happen is there will be good works that will begin to be produced out of your life. 
And it's nothing that you created on your own because you can't create that kind of stuff on your own. And what happens is, is that there begins to be a change in character. There begins to be a change in your relationships. There begins to be a change in the way you think. There begins to be a change in the way you talk. There begins to be a change in the way you treat people. And pretty soon you realize this is a real thing. God's doing something. He is producing good works in me. See, that's the message of James, Galatians, Romans, Ephesians, the whole Bible is that it's only faith in the grace of Jesus and then that living faith will produce good works. That's why in Philippians 1.6, Paul said that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That when you have faith in him, just like Abraham had faith to follow God, that wasn't the end of the story. That was the beginning of the story. And then the story continued on until the day came when Abraham said, kill your boy. And Abraham, God said, kill your boy. And Abraham said, all right, I'm willing to do that. And then that was proof that what had been going on in his life was a real living faith because it produced obedience. It produced good works. Now, there's, there's three ways in this passage that, that we just looked at. There's three ways that James describes what dead faith is. And I want us to look at that, uh, those three things. The first one is this. Three ways that James describes dead faith. First one is a Christian label without a changed life. A Christian label without a changed life. Verse 14 says this. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? How many of you have lived in the upstate of South Carolina, your whole life. Born here, never left. You're like, why would we want to leave, Cliff? I understand. Great place to live. Um, not just the upstate of South Carolina, really pretty much the whole state, but this, this upstate, Greenville County, it is hard to find someone who's not a Christian. I mean, if you ask them. If you just go around and ask people, you know, are you a Christian? Everybody, it seems like, has some connection, especially if they're from here all the time. They've got some connection with a church. They'll t and, and Donnie and I laugh about this because doing what we do for a living, see, you can meet someone, if you're not a pastor, you can go to the store, you can meet someone, tell them what you do for a living, and they never want to tell you about how they go to church. Donnie and I, when we meet somebody, what do you do? Well, I'm a pastor. It doesn't matter what we could have been talking about. I was going to say physics, but I would never be talking to anybody about physics. <laughs> we could be talking about baseball and has nothing to do with church. And as soon as I say, hey, you know, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm a pastor. Immediately, it changes for them into, yeah, well, you know, I, I go to this church over here. Or I got an uncle who's a pastor. It's like people want to give me their you know, their credentials, their religious credentials or something. And, and people around here, it seems like that everybody thinks, well, I go to this church or I do that, and, and so I'm a Christian. And, and what I'm reminded of in this, this verse 14, it says in verse 14, what is it if a man, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? See, it doesn't matter what, what label you use. What matters is, What's coming out of your life? I, um, I have to take blood pressure medicine every morning. I know, 
it's surprising you're saying, Cliff, a man in your peak physical condition, I cannot believe that he has to take blood pressure medicine. But I do. Uh, it's bad genetics. And so I have, to take, I have to take blood pressure medicine every morning. So I have a bottle in my house that came from Ingalls Pharmacy, and it has the name of the type of medicine I take and the dosage, and I just keep it in that bottle. I, I'm not to the point yet where I have to have a pill box like with Monday, Tuesday, but I'm getting there. The other day I forgot, it was like lunchtime, and I thought, did I take my pill or not? And I just decided not to. I didn't want to double up. And so, um, so I, I have that bottle. Now, sometimes when I go out of town, I will think, you know, while I'm gone, I might have a headache. So I'll grab a handful of Advil, and I'll put them in the same bottle because it's one bottle. I know I'm taking my blood pressure bottle. And so I'll put that Advil in my blood pressure medicine bottle. Now, just by being in the bottle with the label that says blood pressure medicine on it, does that make that Advil lower my blood pressure? No. If I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I've got to take my blood pressure pill. Well, I'll just take one of these Advil. It's in the same bottle. It's got to do the same job. No, it has the label on the outside isn't what makes it the medicine. What makes it the medicine is the result of me taking it, what it does to my blood pressure. And if I take my blood pressure medicine, it keeps me on a low blood pressure level. But if I take the Advil, it doesn't do that. And I think sometimes that, that we have folks, in, and maybe you're one of these, maybe you know someone like this, that you are relying on a label that just for years you've said, you know what, something happened to me a long time ago, and, and you know, I felt emotional that day, and, and so, yeah, I'm a Christian, but nothing else has ever changed in your life. You live no different than anybody else lives. There's been no working of God in your heart. There's been no change of character, and you're saying, I'm a Christian, but it's a changed label without a changed life. Now listen, I'm not talking about being perfect. None of us are perfect, but what I'm talking about is that there should be a growth pattern. You should be able to look back on your life and say, five years ago I was here and now I'm here. And then five years later, you ought to look back where you are today and say, that's where I was and now I'm even closer to God today than I was five years earlier. When uh, last uh, Saturday, I think it was, I, I had a, a wedding that I did for a, a guy that was in my youth group back a long time ago, and so Sherry and I were there, and, and they had dinner after the wedding, which was great, and so we went and sat down at this table, and this young couple came and sat down with us, and um, got to talking to them. They had been married two weeks. They, so, so here we are sitting with this couple that they had, one week they'd been on their honeymoon, and then they'd been home for a week in the real world, and now they were here sitting with us. Now, guess what? That couple that's been married two weeks, they just seemed like they were so in love. I mean, it was just obvious. They loved each other, and they were smiling, and she kept rubbing on his neck a lot, you know, and all that kind of good stuff. I mean, they just were, it was obvious they were really in love. But, but here's the thing. They had been married two weeks. That love has, has not produced anything yet. That love has not been proven over time. Now, what I'm really impressed by is when I'm around people who've been married 50 years and they still like to be together and they still speak well of each other and, and they still do life together. And when that happens, that's when I look at that and I say, now that's a real love. That's a love that I want to have between me and my wife. But the two-week love, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but it hasn't been proven yet. 
And see, a lot of times we have folks that, that and, and maybe, maybe you're in this category, where, where you something happened and you walked down an aisle maybe and you got baptized and, and it was like all good and then all of a sudden you, it means nothing to you and, and you're wondering if it was even real to begin with and there's been no change in your life whatsoever and you've just lived however you've wanted to and it wasn't proven out over time. See, what James is talking about here is he said real faith survives life. Real faith overcomes that stuff. Real faith produces good works in the midst of everything else that's going on. It's not just a label. It's a changed life. Second thing, what James says about what is dead faith. Dead faith is compassionate words without compassionate actions. Compassionate words without compassionate actions. James 2, 15 through 17 says this. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, is, if not accompanied by action, is dead. See, the longer our faith is alive, the more compassionate we should get. Unfortunately, it seems like a lot of people who, not a lot of people, but some people, who claim to have been Christians for years, they're more bitter than they are compassionate. They're more angry than they are compassionate. They're more judgmental than they are compassionate. And that should never be. See, the longer we serve Jesus, the, the, the more our faith grows, our compassion should increase. And the reason why is, is because the, the, the stronger our faith gets, the more we realize how sinful we are, how great God is that He forgives our sin, and that should make us have more compassion on the people around us. See, the, the story James talked about was people coming into the church there, and, and their basic needs weren't taken care of, and instead of someone standing up and saying, I'll help you find food this week, they were saying, God bless you, brother. Go on your way. Hope you find something to eat. You know, and when we say God bless you to somebody and we don't offer to help them, maybe God's saying, yeah, I wanted to bless them, but I wanted you to use you to do it. I wanted you to be the instrument of my blessing in that person's life. And instead, you're just saying, God bless you. Once again, talk is cheap when it comes to this kind of stuff. We were at a conference last week and I saw this guy walking around wearing a shirt that said, I got it written down, it said, end war now stop at nothing. Well, that's cool. That's a great shirt. I want war to end as well. You know, end war now, stop at nothing. But I wanted to go up and ask the guy, what have you done to end war other than wearing that shirt? I mean, he's wearing a shirt that says he'll stop at nothing to end war. So he ought to be like camping out on the White House lawn, you know, trying to get a meeting with Obama. He ought to be going overseas and standing in front of tanks. I mean, if you say stop at nothing to end war, it ought to be more than just wearing the T-shirt. And I think sometimes that's the way we are when it comes to our Christian life. We think, yeah, I want everybody to get saved, and I, I really want to see hunger eliminated in my county, and I want to see homelessness eliminated, and I want more and more people to come to faith in Jesus. But what are we doing? to see that happen. It's, it's not just compassionate words, it's compassionate actions as well. 
And then the last thing that James talks about that is a symptom of dead faith is knowing the right answers without love for God. Knowing the right answers without love for God. James 2.19, one of the most sarcastic verses in all of the Bible. You believe that there is one God? Good. It's like, yay, we did it. We got the right answer. And then he zings them with, even the demons believe that and shudder. See, even Satan believes in God. And Satan will not spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. So if you're, if you're holding on to some belief in God, yeah, I believe in God. That's awesome. James says, great, good for you. You're no better than Satan. I didn't say that, James said it. I mean, and so we can know the right answers without having the love of the God that we're giving those answers about. It's like growing up in church. How many of you ever taught VBS and you ask a question, and what is some kid invariably going to say? Jesus. It doesn't matter, you know, what do y'all want for snack today? Oh, I'm at church. Jesus? You know, they, they just think that that's got to be the right answer to everything at church is Jesus. And, and that's what this is talking about here when he says, you might know the right answers. You might be able to quote theology and, you know, give scripture and all that stuff. But if it's not real in your heart, if it's not producing good works, then it's a dead faith. Now, we've talked about a bunch of stuff and used a lot of scripture and all that kind of stuff. This is what I want you to do before we, before we finish up today. I just want you to think about your life. This isn't about how long you've been in church. This isn't about um, you know, how much you've given to the church. This is about what's going on in your heart. And only you and God know whether your faith is dead or alive. I can't, I can't tell by looking at you. You could be the Christian label without the changed life, and all I'm going to see is the label. But you know. And it would be a tragedy for you to go through the rest of your life thinking that, well, as long as I just keep showing up at church, as long as I just believe that God's real, that's going to be enough. Because, see, when God saves you, He also changes you. And in fact, the change is the proof that there was the saving. And if there's been no change, then there's been no saving. There's a, a verse in the book of Titus that Blake pointed me to when we were talking about this message. And I think it, it just sums up what we're talking about. It says this, that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. So that's the saving part, to save us from our sin. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does he redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. If Jesus has saved you, he didn't just save you, he's also changing you. He saved you to do good works. He saved you so that out of your life, Others can receive a blessing. So this is what I want us to do. I want you to stand up right where you are. Resist the urge to go ahead and pack up your Bible. Just stand up where you are.
Leave your purse in your seat, men or women. And while you're standing there, I want you just to think through what we talked about today. We've got dead faith and we've got living faith. And there's no in-between. There's no, well, my faith was dead yesterday, but it's alive today. Where are you? And uh, we're going to have our pastors are going to come down here and stand at the front. And you have an opportunity to come and respond and just come to them and say, I want my faith to be alive. I want to trust Jesus. Now remember, you can't do enough to save yourself. So if you're if you're thinking, well, I'm just going to keep being good and keep giving a lot, and then at the end it's all going to weigh out, you can't do that. You've got to give up what you're trying to accomplish and say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you. So I want to, everybody bow your heads. And I just want you to pray right where you are about your own heart. I'm not going to pray out loud. I'm going to say amen in a minute. When I say amen, if you want to come, you come on. And we'll wait just a few minutes. If you want to come and just pray at the front, you can do that as well. So pray silently where you are. And when I say amen, then you respond.